Chapter Seventeen of Alice of Old Vincennes by Maurice Thompson. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. Seventeen, a march through cold water. On the fifth day of February, seventeen seventy nine, Colonel George Rogers Clark led an army across the Kaskaskia River and camped. This was the first step in his march towards the Wabash. An army, do not smile fewer than two hundred men it is true answered the roll-call when father gibault lifted the cross and blessed them but every name told off by the company sergeants belonged to a hero and every voice making response struck a full note in the chorus of freedom's morning song it was an army small indeed but yet an army even though so rudely equipped that could we now see it before us we might wonder of what use it could possibly be in a military way we should nevertheless hardly expect that a hundred and seventy of our best men even if furnished with the latest and most deadly engines of destruction could do what those pioneers cheerfully undertook and gloriously accomplished in the savage wilderness which was to be the great central area of the united states of america we look back with a shiver of awe at the three hundred spartans for whom simonides composed his matchless epitaph they wrought and died gloriously that was greek the one hundred and seventy men who led by the backwoodsman clark made conquest of an empire's area for freedom in the west wrought and lived gloriously that was american it is well to bear in mind this distinction by which our civilization separates itself from that of old times our heroism has always been of life our heroes have conquered and lived to see the effect of conquest we have fought all sorts of wars and have never yet felt defeat washington jackson taylor grant all lived to enjoy after successful war or triumphant peace these americans said a witty frenchman are either enormously lucky or possessed of miraculous vitality you rarely kill them in battle and if you wound them their wounds are never mortal their history is but a chain of impossibilities easily accomplished their undertakings have been without preparation their success is in the nature of stupendous accidents such a statement may appear critically sound from a gallic point of view but it leaves out the dominant element of american character namely heroic efficiency from the first we have had the courage to undertake the practical common sense which overcomes the lack of technical training and the vital force which never flags under the stress of adversity clark knew when he set out on his march to vincennes that he was not indulging a visionary impulse the enterprise was one that called for all that manhood could endure but not more with the genius of a born leader he measured his task by his means he knew his own courage and fortitude and understood the best capacity of his men he had genius that is he possessed the secret of extracting from himself and from his followers the last refinement of devotion to purpose there was a certainty from first to last that effort would not flag at any point short of the topmost possible strain the great star of america was no more than a nebulous splendor on the horizon in seventeen seventy nine it was a new world forming by the law of youth the men who bore the burdens of its exacting life were mostly stalwart striplings who before the down of adolescence fairly sprouted on their chins could swing the axe drive a plough close with a bear or kill an indian clark was not yet twenty-seven when he made his famous campaign a tall brawny youth whose frontier experience had enriched a native character of the best quality he marched on foot at the head of his little column and was first to test every opposing danger was there a stream to wade or swim clark enthusiastically shouted 
come on and in he plunged was there a lack of food i'm not hungry he cried help yourselves men had some poor soldier lost his blanket mine is in my way said clark take it i'm glad to get rid of it his men loved him and would rather die than fall short of his expectations the march before them lay over a magnificent plain mostly prairie rich as the delta of the nile but extremely difficult to traverse the distance as the route led was about a hundred and seventy miles on account of an open and rainy winter all the basins and flatlands were inundated often presenting leagues of water ranging in depth from a few inches to three or four feet cold winds blew sometimes with spits of snow and dashes of sleet while thin ice formed on the ponds and sluggish streams by day progress meant wading ankle-deep knee-deep breast-deep with an occasional spurt of swimming by night the brave fellows had to sleep if sleep they could on the cold ground and soaked clothing under water-heavy blankets they flung the leagues behind them however cheerfully stimulating one another by joke and challenge defying all the bitterness of weather all the bitings of hunger all the toil danger and deprivation of a trackless and houseless wilderness looking only eastward following their youthful and intrepid commander to one of the most valuable victories gained by american soldiers during the war of the revolution colonel clark understood perfectly the strategic importance of vincennes as a post commanding the wabash and as a base of communication with the many indian tribes north of the ohio and east of the mississippi francis bigot may his name never fade had brought him a comprehensive and accurate report of hamilton's strength and the condition of the fort and garrison this information confirmed his belief that it would be possible not only to capture vincennes but detroit as well just seven days after the march began the little army encamped for a night's rest at the edge of a wood and here just after nightfall when the fires were burning merrily and the smell of broiling buffalo sticks burdened the damp air a wizened old man suddenly appeared how or from where nobody had observed he was dirty and in every way disreputable in appearance looking like an animated mummy bearing a long rifle on his shoulder and walking with the somewhat halting activity of a very old yet vivacious and energetic simeon of course it was oncle jason oncle jason sui generis as father beret had dubbed him well here i am he cried approaching the fire by which colonel clark and some of his officers were cooking supper but ye can't guess in a mile o who i am to save your liver and lights he danced a few stiff steps which made the water gush out of his tattered moccasins then doffed his nondescript cap and nodded his scalpless head in salutation to the commander clark looked inquiringly at him while the old fellow grimaced and rubbed his shrunken chin i smelt your fat a-fryin something like a mile away and it set my innards to grumblin for a snack so i just thought i'd drop in on ye and shall wittles wi ye your looks are decidedly against you remarked the colonel with a dry smile he had recognized oncle jason after a little sharp scrutiny i suppose however that we can let you gnaw the bones after we've got off the meat thank ye thank ye plenty good a feller at's as hungry as i am can go through a bone like a fish through water clark laughed and said i don't see any teeth that you have worth mentioning but your gums may be unusually sharp yes but as sharp as your wit colonel clark and sharper in your eyes a long shot ye don't know me do ye 
take another squint at me and see if ye can remember a good-looking man you have somewhat the appearance of an old scamp by the name of jason that formerly loped around with a worthless gun on his shoulder and used to run from every indian he saw down yonder in kentucky clark held out his hand and added cordially how are you jason my old friend and where upon earth have you come from oncle jason pounced upon the hand and gripped it in his own knotted fingers gazing delightedly up into clark's bronzed and laughing face where'd i come from i come from everywheres first time i ever got lost in all my born days i've been a trampin round in the water seems like a week crazy as a pizened rat not a knowin north from south near my big toe for a turnip who's got some tobacker oncle jason's story when presently he told it interested clark deeply in the first place he was glad to hear that simon kenton had once more escaped from the indians and the news from beverly although bad enough left room for hope frontiersmen always regarded the chances better than even so long as there was life oncle jason furthermore had much to tell about the situation at vincennes the true feeling of the french inhabitants the lukewarm friendship of the larger part of the indians for hamilton and indeed everything that clark wished to know regarding the possibilities of success in his arduous undertaking the old man's advent cheered the whole camp he soon found acquaintances and friends among the french volunteers from kaskaskia with whom he exchanged creole gestures and chatter with a vivacity apparently inexhaustible he and kenton had with wise judgment separated on escaping from the indian camp kenton striking out for kentucky while oncle jason went towards kaskaskia the information that beverly would be shot as soon as he was returned to hamilton caused colonel clark serious worry of mind not only the fact that beverly who had been a charming friend and a most gallant officer was now in such imminent danger but the impression given by oncle jason's account that he had broken his parole was deeply painful to the brave and scrupulously honourable commander still friendship rose above regret and clark resolved to push his little column forward all the more rapidly hoping to arrive in time to prevent the impending execution next morning the march was resumed at the break of dawn but a swollen stream caused some hours of delay during which beverly himself arrived from the rear a haggard and weirdly unkept apparition he had been for three days following hard on the army's track which he came to far westward oncle jason saw him first in the distance and his old but educated eyes made no mistake yonder's that youngster beverly he exclaimed if it ain't i'm a squaw nor did he parley further on the subject but set off at a rickety trot to meet and assist the fagged and excited young man clark had given oncle jason his flask which contained a few gills of whisky this was the first thing offered to beverly who wisely took but a swallow oncle jason was so elated that he waved his cap on high and unconsciously falling into french yelled in a piercing voice vive georges washington vive la bannière d'alice roussillon seeing beverly reminded him of alice and the flag as for beverly the sentiment braced him and the beloved name brimmed his heart with sweetness clark went to meet them as they came in he hugged the gaunt lieutenant with genuine fervour of joy while oncle jason ran around them making a series of grotesque capers the whole command hearing oncle jason's patriotic words set up a wild shouting on the spur of a general impression that beverly came as a messenger bearing glorious news from washington's army in the east 
it was a great relief to clark when he found out that his favorite lieutenant had not broken his parole but had instead boldly resurrendered himself declaring the obligation no longer binding and notifying hamilton of his intention to go away with the purpose of returning and destroying him and his command clark laughed heartily when his explanation brought out beverly's tender interest in alice but he sympathized cordially for he himself knew what love is although beverly was half starved and still suffering from the kicks and blows given him by long hair and his warriors his exhausting run on the trail of clark and his band had not worked him serious harm all of the officers and men did their utmost to serve him he was feasted without stint and furnished with everything that the scant supply of clothing on the pack-horses could afford for his comfort he promptly asked for an assignment to duty in his company and took his place with such high enthusiasm that his companions regarded him with admiring wonder none of them save clark and ocleson suspected that love for a fair-haired girl yonder in vincennes was the secret of his amazing zeal and intrepidity in one respect clark's expedition was sadly lacking in its equipment for the march it had absolutely no means of transporting adequate supplies the pack-horses were not able to carry more than a little extra ammunition a few articles of clothing some simple cooking utensils and such tools as were needed in improvising rafts and canoes consequently although buffalo and deer were sometimes plentiful they furnished no lasting supply of meat because it could not be transported and as the army neared vincennes wild animals became scarce so that the men began to suffer from hunger when within but a few days of their journey's end clark made almost superhuman efforts in urging forward his chilled water-soaked foot-sore command and when hunger added its torture to the already disheartening conditions his courage and energy seemed to burn stronger and brighter beverly was always at his side ready to undertake any task except any risk his ardor made his face glow and he seemed to thrive upon hardships the two men were a source of inspiration their followers could not flag and hesitate while under the influence of their example toward the end of the long march a decided fall of temperature added ice to the water through which our dauntless patriots waded and swam for miles the wind shifted northwesterly taking on a searching chill each gust indeed seemed to shoot wintry splinters into the very marrow of the men's bones the weaker ones began to show the approach of utter exhaustion just at the time when a final spurt of unflinching power was needed true they struggled heroically but nature was nearing the inexorable limit of endurance without food which there was no prospect of getting collapse was sure to come standing nearly waist-deep in freezing water and looking out upon the muddy sea-like flood that stretched far away to the channel of the wabash and beyond clark turned to beverly and said speaking low so as not to be overheard by any other of his officers or men is it possible lieutenant beverly that we are to fail with vincennes almost in sight of us no sir it is not possible was the firm reply nothing must nothing can stop us look at that brave child he sets the heroic example beverly pointed as he spoke at a boy but fourteen years old who was using his drum as a float to bear him up while he courageously swam beside the men clark's clouded face cleared once more you are right he said come on we must win or die sergeant de witt he added turning to an enormously tall and athletic man near by take that little drummer and his drum on your shoulder and lead the way and sergeant make him pound that drum like the devil beating tan bark the huge man caught the spirit of his commander's order 
in a twinkling he had the boy astride of his neck with the kettle-drum resting on his head and the rattling music began clark followed pointing onward with his sword the half-frozen and tottering soldiers sent up a shout that went back to where captain bowman was bringing up the rear under orders to shoot every man that straggled or shrank from duty now came a time when not a mouthful of food was left a whole day they floundered on starving growing fainter at every step the temperature falling the ice thickening they camped on high land and next morning they heard hamilton's distant sunrise gun boom over the water one half ration for the men said clark looking disconsolately in the direction whence the sound had come just five mouthfuls apiece even and i'll have hamilton and his fort within forty-eight hours we will have the provisions colonel or i will die trying to get them beverly responded depend upon me they had constructed some canoes in which to transport the weakest of the men i will take a dugout and some picked fellows we will pull to the wood yonder and there we shall find some kind of game which has been forced to shelter from the high water it was a cheerful view of a forlorn hope clark grasped the hand extended by beverly and they looked encouragement into each other's eyes oncle jason volunteered to go in the pirogue he was ready for anything everything i can't shoot what a cent he whined as they took their places in the cranky pirogue but i might just happen to kill a squirrel or an elephant or something another very well shouted clark in a loud cheerful voice when they had paddled away to a considerable distance bring the meat to the woods on the hill yonder pointing to a distant island-like ridge far beyond the creeping flood we'll be there ready to eat it he said this for the ears of his men they heard and answered with a straggling but determined chorus of approval they crossed the rolling current of the wabash by a tedious process of ferrying and at last found themselves once more wading in backwater up to their armpits breaking ice an inch thick as they went it was the closing struggle to reach the high wooded lands many of them fell exhausted but their stronger comrades lifted them holding their heads above water and dragged them on clark always leading always inspiring was first to set foot on dry land he shouted triumphantly waved his sword and then fell to helping the men out of the freezing flood this accomplished he ordered fires built but there was not a soldier of them all whose hands could clasp an axe handle so weak and numbed with cold were they he was not to be baffled however if fire could not be had exercise must serve its purpose hastily pouring some powder into his hand he dampened it and blackened his face victory men victory he shouted taking off his hat and beginning to leap and dance come on we'll have a war dance and then a feast as soon as the meat arrives that i have sent for dance you brave lads dance victory victory the strong men understanding their colonel's purpose took hold of the delicate ones and the leaping the capering the tumult of voices and the stamping of slushy moccasins with which they assaulted that stately forest must have frightened every wild thing thereabout into a deadly rigour clark's irrepressible energy and optimism worked a veritable charm upon his faithful but almost dying companions in arms their trust in him made them feel sure that food would soon be forthcoming the thought afforded a stimulus more potent than wine it drove them into an ecstasy of frantic motion and shouting which soon warmed them thoroughly it is said that fortune favours the brave the larger meaning of the sentence may be given thus 
god guards those who deserve his protection history tells us that just when clark halted his command almost in sight of vincennes just when hunger was about to prevent the victory so close to his grasp a party of his scouts brought in the haunch of a buffalo captured from some indians the scouts were lieutenant beverly and oakler jason and with the meat they brought indian kettles in which to cook it with consummate forethought clark arranged to prevent his men doing themselves injury by bolting their food or eating it half cooked broth was first made and served hot then small bits of well-broiled steak were doled out until by degrees the fine effect of nourishment set in and all the command felt the fresh courage of healthy reaction i ain't no general nor corporal nor nothing remarked uncle jason to colonel clark but if i is you i'd hist up every dad dinged old flag in the regiment when i got ready to show myself to em and i'd make em think over yonder at the fort that i had about ninety thousand men hit it skeer that sandy-faced governor over there till he'd think his backbone was a comin out in him by the roots clark laughed but his face showed that the old man's suggestion struck him forcibly and seriously we'll see about that presently oncle jason wait till we reach the hill yonder from which the whole town can observe our manoeuvres then we'll try it maybe once more the men were lined up the roll-call gone through with satisfactorily and the question put are we ready for another plunge through the mud and water the answer came in the affirmative with a unanimity not to be mistaken the weakest heart of them all beat to the time of the charge step again clark and beverly clasped hands and took the lead when they reached the next high ground they gazed in silence across a slushy prairie plot to where on a slight elevation old vincennes and fort sackville lay in full view beverly stood apart a rush of sensations affected him so that he shook like one whose strength is gone his vision was blurred fort and town swimming in a mist were silent and still save the british flag twinkling above hamilton's headquarters nothing indicated that the place was not deserted and alice with the sweet name's echo beverly's heart bounded high then sank fluttering at the recollection that she was either yonder at the mercy of hamilton or already the victim of an unspeakable cruelty was it weakness for him to lift his clasped hands heavenward and send up a voiceless prayer while he stood thus oncle jason came softly to his side and touched his arm beverly started the next thing'll be to shoot the everlasting gizzards out in a montit the old man inquired i'm just a-eachin to git a grip on to that governor if i don't scalp him i'm a squaw beverly drew a deep breath and came promptly back from his dream it was now oncle jason's turn to assume a reflective reminiscent mood he looked about him with an expression of vague half-tenderness on his shrivelled features i's jest a-thinkin how time do run past a feller he presently remarked twenty-seven years ago i camped right here with my wife ninth one if i member correct just fresh married to her sort a honeymoon twas warm and sunshiny nice she was a party squaw mighty party and i was as happy as a tomtit on a sugar trough we biled sap yonder on them knobs under the maples it was glorious had some several wives for and lots of em since but she was sweetest of em all strange how a feller members sich things and feels sort o lonesome like 
the old man's mouth drooped at the corners and he hitched up his buckskin trousers with a ludicrous suggestion of pathos in every line of his attitude unconsciously he sidled closer to beverly remotely feeling that he was giving the young man very effective sympathy well knowing that alice was the sweet burden of his thoughts it was thus oncle jason honestly tried to fortify his friend against what probably lay in store for him but beverly failed to catch the old man's crude comfort thus flung at him the analogy was not apparent oncle jason probably felt that his kindness had been ineffectual for he changed his tone and added but i suppose a young feller like ye can't understand what it is to love a woman and have her quit ye for another feller and him a buck injun well 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 that's the way it do go of all the livin things upon top of this year globe the most uncertain crinkety crankety and slippery thing is a young woman that knows she's a party and that every other man in the known world is blind stavin crazy in love with her same as you are she'll drop ye like a hot tatter for ye know it and then look at ye just pine blank like she never knowed ye afore in her life it's so lieutenant sure's you're born i know for i've tried the odd number of em and they're all just the same by this time beverly's ears were deaf to oncle jason's querulous whining voice and his thoughts once more followed his wistful gaze across the watery plain to where the low roofs of the creole town appeared dimly wavering in the twilight of eventide which was fast fading into night the scene seemed unsubstantial he felt a strange lethargy possessing his soul he could not realize the situation in trying to imagine alice she eluded him so that a sort of cloudy void fell across his vision with the effect of baffling and benumbing it he made vain efforts to recall her voice things that she had said to him her face her smiles all he could do was to evoke an elusive tantalizing ghostly something which made him shiver inwardly with a haunting fear that it meant the worst whatever the worst might be where was she could she be dead and this the shadowy message of her fate darkness fell and a thin fog began to drift in wan streaks above the water not a sound save the suppressed stir of the camp broke the wide dreary silence oncle jason babbled until satisfied that beverly was unappreciative or at least unresponsive got to have some terbacker he remarked and shambled away in search of it among his friends a little later clark approached hastily and said i have been looking for you the march has begun bowman and chalaville are moving come there's no time to lose End of chapter seventeen